worship you. We worship you. We thank you. We praise you, God. You are so good. You are so good. We praise you and thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I feel a shift in the room this morning. I think that the uh, for those of you that have taken the challenge of setting up a, the tabernacle of David in your homes and letting worship play in your homes, whether you know it or not, it's shifting the air. It's shifting the air. And I feel the air shift in here because you're coming in with the heart, the heart of David, the heart of worship. Amen? That's what it's all about. It's about that. It's about connecting with that shift because God wants to shift everything in our lives. Coming out of 23 into 24, He wants to shift. This is the year of the shift. It's the year of the shift. Amen? Amen. Amen. You all excited for the shift? I'm ready for things to move into a groove. And I want to fit in that groove. Just, just thinking about that, I think about... Um, you know, back in the old days, we used to have vinyl records, you know? Anybody remember that in the old days? You say, well, we got vinyl records today. We have vinyl records today, but they ain't like they used to be. I mean, to get all the, the cracks and the pops and all that stuff on that, that's captured on that. But the only way that you hear those things, the only way that you can pull what those vinyls have is to put a needle down into the groove. And when you put a needle down into the groove, that's when things start start moving in your life. I think we need to put a needle down today. Let it let the needle fall into the groove. Move into the groove. Amen. Move into say that. Move into the groove. Look at your neighbor and say, move into the groove. Now look at your other neighbor and say, move into the groove. Amen. We're gonna shift there. Amen. We shift the air wherever we go. And so, man, just if, if you haven't set up a, a place in your house where the, the atmosphere can be changed by worship, you need to do that. Because then you'll feel the shift in your house. You'll feel the shift wherever you go. Amen? Amen. Well, you all don't act too excited this morning, but I know you are deep on the inside. You may not express it out here, but you're you're expressing it on the inside. Amen. All right. Well, turn around, tell somebody hello. Tell them um, that you're glad to see them this morning. It's good to see y'all this morning. How y'all doing? Happy New Year to you. Are y'all listening to me? All right. Happy New Year. It's good to see y'all this morning. Well, we've got a special treat for you this morning. Of course, uh, as you know, hopefully you know if you've been here long enough, uh, every at the beginning of every month we have uh, we we pray over our finances. Because because we do finances and we do offerings a little bit different here at Cowboy Church. You know, you go to a church sometimes, and they they have like a thirty minute offering message and every week, and then they pass the buckets and or the plates or the bags or whatever you 
whatever you do in that church. We don't do it that way around here. We uh, we give you that opportunity to to just ask God where He wants you to give, if He wants you to give. And so at the first of every month, we like to pray over those things, and we like to give a little tithe message. Why? Why we tithe and why we give offerings? Because I believe that God blesses us in the midst of those things. So this morning we have uh, some some guests, uh, James and Sharon Welch. They uh, they help teach our rooted class. Come on up, guys. They help teach our rooted class. And uh, Sharon was telling me that this is the favorite part of the rooted class is talking about tithing. So, that is so true. It is, actually. I'm going to let you take off. All right. Sounds good. So anyway, it's such a privilege and honor to be up here. But um, I think especially to talk about tithes is one of my like very favorite things to talk about. Because I think when you experience God or you experience miracles in your life, like it's so easy to like talk about it and share it. And that's the way tithing is for, for me and for James. Um, it's really cool that this time of year is when we were asked to come up and talk about it because it was eight years ago um, that Pastor had done a message on tithing at the beginning of the year, and uh, we were at the stoplight right out here. I don't know, has anybody else been at that stoplight and like left church and have like a life-changing, like we're going to do this after like reflecting on the message? That stoplight out there means a lot to me because we've done that a lot. And we were at the, we were at the stoplight and we left and we both looked at each other and we said, we are going to tithe and we're going to tithe right. And we are going to do this. And, um, we had tithes before, but we had never really been, I would say intentional about it. It was kind of like, well, whatever was left over at the end of the month is kind of what God got. And, and anyway, I, James, uh, has a degree in math, so he's, he's pretty good about knowing numbers and all that. So we knew exactly what we had missed the year before of tithing. Um, and so it was like, okay, it's like, we, we're going to have to cut some things out if we're going to do this. And that's okay because we want to do it because we want to be obedient to what God's word is. And anyway, um, that was on a Sunday. And on Tuesday, I had my annual review um, at work. And I mean, I'd had an okay, an okay year, not an exceptional year, but an okay year. And I went in and I met with my boss and, and he, you know, slid the paper across the desk, you know, of, of what, um, my raise was going to be for the year. And it was so cool because it was within a hundred dollars of what we were short the year before. Um, from tithing and it's like we had already made our commitment of what we were going to give up and this that and another thing but God met us there and we were obedient to that and that really launched our um our our faith of just being obedient to what God was telling us to do and so this is going to be kind of probably a different message you've never heard in tithing before but this week as I was like praying about it you know God kept putting um obedience in in front of me and um and I was looking at in Luke and and talking about Simon and you know Simon was obedient to put his boat into the water and it was just a simple act of obedience of putting his boat in the water and then he had another being obedient and they had been up all night fishing and I don't know about you but when you're up all night you're tired and you're cranky and you feel defeated and they hadn't caught any fish and you know their finances probably weren't looking that good um but God had you know Jesus had told him to 
put their net in the water. And I'm sure he's like, I am so tired. I just want to go back, you know? Um, and I think that's how some, sometimes some of us feel. But you know what? He put his net in the water and it filled their, their nets, um, overflowing. But it started with that simple act of, obedience. And so I think that today, um, it, it launched him into not just being a fisherman, but it, a fisherman of men. And when I think about tithing, I think about that that's that's what launched it for us. It's like when you think of tithing, what our church does, it's like, I hope when I am standing in heaven that I have people I've never met that come up to me and they say, I'm here because you tithed. I'm here because I came to Northern Colorado Cowboy Church or I was in Belize or I was in Israel and your tithe changed my life. And so um, it's not just about what we get here on earth. Um, and so many times I think we think about that when we tithe, like, oh, what are we going to get? It's about our reward that we're going to get in heaven. And so I'm just encouraging you today, um, you know, pastor says that a lot about just be obedient to what God's telling you to do. Be obedient to what God's word is, because I promise you it will change your life and it changes other people's lives. And so, um, so anyway, it just be fisher of, of men and that helps us. All right, so I'll just add a couple quick things. Uh, you took more than your three minutes, so I only have a, like one or two. So anyway, uh, no, but as I was reflecting on it this week, as Sharon said, you know, normally tithing is not something people like to talk about. We actually love talking about it because we've seen the faithfulness of God in our lives in it. And, um, you know, for me, I, I had a chance really when I was reflecting this week, the biggest thing that came to me was just this overwhelming awe of how faithful God is to us. Um, we don't deserve it, right? I mean, all of us are sinners. We've all fallen short, but God doesn't owe us anything. But yet he's still so faithful to be there for us and meet our needs. And, you know, for me personally, I, I mentioned this a little bit the last time I was up here, but uh, I, I'm a person, I can take quite a bit. You can put a lot on my shoulders and I can generally not only survive, but thrive. Except for one thing, and that's personal finances. You know, if I get stressed out about my personal finances, I, it's kind of my Achilles heel, <laughs> Yeah, she nods because it is. But the thing that, no, but the thing that's so cool is as we started tithing and seeing God's faithfulness and seeing God time and time and time again come through, maybe not always in our timing, but he always came through, is that it really built my faith. And what really was my greatest fear has become my greatest testimony. And it's, you know, something I love to talk about. I don't, you know, because I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over. And you can't explain it any other way than God's faithfulness. And so, you know, one of the verses we were talking about, again, Sharon kind of gave a verse. It's not normally a tithe verse. Uh, one of the verses that I have stood on for a very long time uh, is in Psalms 37, uh, verse 25. And it's uh, King David who was writing this. Uh, and he said, I was young and now I'm old because I'm, you know, a little gray here. But he says, I was young, but now I'm old. But I have never seen the godly forsaken or their children uh, begging for bread. And that's something from a finance standpoint I've always stood on. Uh, and then we've seen it time and time again. So so anyway, with that, let's uh, pray real quick and we'll get on. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. We just thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we just are so 
We're just so humbled by what you do for us. Father, we don't deserve it, but you are just so amazing. Your grace is just so overwhelming. And Father, I just pray that you would just be with each of us. I just pray over the finances of this church. Holy Spirit, for those that are contemplating starting tithing, I just pray for peace. I pray for comfort. I just pray that you just be with them and that you would just help them just make that, that leap of faith so that they can have testimonies like Sharon and I. So, Father, I just pray you're just with us, and I pray that uh, you would bless this church and that we would be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, guys, very much. That's awesome. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, that that we've got uh, a, a class called Rooted here in the church that's getting ready to kick off here in a little bit. I don't know what dates you got, but... Uh, be looking for it. Be, be looking for Rooted. Because what we do in Rooted is we, we put a foundation under you. If you've just recently come to the, to the knowledge of the things of God, or if you've been in church for a while and you just really wonder why we do as Christians what we do, it's a perfect class to learn, uh, the basics, the step by step of, of what it means to be a Christian and live the Christian life. And part of that is, is, uh, is tithing and and what that all means and uh but James and Sharon will be teaching this next phase of rooted and uh with the help of of C Dub and Kirst who uh Kirsty sorry uh C Dub and Kirsty who who had uh wrote the curriculum for our rooted class. Yeah. So it's gonna be great. So be looking for that. It's coming up pretty soon so get get ready for that, okay? Good morning. How are y'all? Good. All right. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, it's good to be in in the house of God. I love what David, King David wrote. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. So I hope that's the way you felt coming in this morning. Uh, I hope that's, you know, exciting to you to be in the house of God today. Amen. 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 And it's only it's only the house of God because you make it the house of God. You are the house of God. But when we all come together as a community... Man, it's just more God. Amen? More God. More God. So uh, with that, um, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here. Just to get the formalities out of the way, uh, if I've never met you, I look forward to meeting you soon. And I want to welcome our online community, Facebook Live, uh, our, uh, our uh, website platform, uh, our church out in, in California, Merced, at uh, Kingdom Ranch, we, we welcome you guys this morning. So we appreciate you joining us. Well, I appreciate you all joining us. Amen. Do you have your Bibles with you this morning? If you, we still, we still like to carry these paper Bibles, you know. If you, if you do it on your phone or whatever, that's great. I, I love that and, and we champion that. But man, I, I love a paper Bible. All right. Well, I'm going to preach to myself this morning, looks like. If you have your Bibles, if you would go over to a, a book that probably the pages in your Bible are still stuck together by the gold on the edges of it, but it's called the book of Joel. It's in the Old Testament, the book of Joel. And I love the book of Joel because Joel prophesied 800 years before Jesus was born. And, and he, Joel was a minor prophet. So the, 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 the book of Joel in the Old Testament is very, it's only three chapters, so you really have to slow down when you're flipping pages trying to find it. But Joel was a minor prophet, is what they call the minor prophets. The major prophets are like Isaiah, Jer- uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, 
Those are the major prophets. But after the book of Hosea starts the book of Joel. So if you could go over to the book of Joel, chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. And uh, it's it's going to be good, I hope. It was good to me this week, so uh, I hope it's good to you. I hope it is good to you. So are you in Joel chapter 2 yet? Wave at me if, you, if you're there. All right, good deal, good deal. Um, here in Joel chapter 2, verse 23, I want to... I want to start out right here. It says this, verse 23, Be glad then, you children of Zion. Um, the word Zion there is a, is a completeness of Israel. Um, because in these times, in these days, Israel was divided. It, there, was the, there was the nation of Israel and then there was the nation of Judah. They were all one, and that's what Zion is. It's, it's all one, one unit. But uh, he's speaking to the whole of what Israel is. He says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given, <clears throat> for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and this, and your vat, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. That is a good, that is a good word. I don't care where you go, what you do, that is a good word. Now, um, I want to talk to you this morning about uh, restoring the disqualified. I mean, we've all felt disqualified at times, amen? We've all felt that that we've done things or, or been in places where we just don't feel qualified to do what God is calling us to do. We know, sometimes we know what God has called us to do. And, and just things happen, time happens. Life happens and we become disqualified or we, we have that feeling of being disqualified. So today I want to talk to you about restoring the disqualified. Last week I started off and talked about <clears throat> restoring the, the tabernacle of David. I'm not going to go back and try to recover all that and re, rehearse all that. If you weren't here last week, I encourage, encourage you to download or to pull up the podcast, whatever, go back in our archives and pull that message up and listen to it. Because I think God will, like we said, transitioning, God will make a shift in your home if you'll give Him a place of presence, give Him a place of worship. Amen? And that's what the, the, the tabernacle of David was all about. Because David's mission, when David became king, his mission... He wanted so badly to bring the ark, which had been gone for, from the, from, uh, from Jerusalem for 20 years. He wanted to bring that ark back in, <clears throat> back into Jerusalem and put it in a place where it belonged. It didn't belong away from, from Jerusalem. It, it belonged in the city of David. It belonged there in Jerusalem. And so David's mission and his whole uh, purpose as king as he wanted to bring the ark home. And what God began to show him is that I will, I will use you, David, to bring that home. And as David began to bring that ark back to the, back to Jerusalem, some things happened. 
I can't imagine being a, a king bringing God's presence back to his people. And as they're doing that, the, the ark gets unsteady on the cart and a guy reaches out to steady the ark doing a good thing. The guy just wanted to do something good to keep the ark from falling on the ground. And he touches the ark of the covenant. And when he touches the ark of the covenant, he dies on the spot. David is, I mean, David is dancing and worshiping before the ark of the Lord. And, and when that happens, he, he just, he don't know what to do about it. I mean, how disqualified did he feel at that moment? I mean, I'm the one with the, with the mission. I'm the one with the, the passion to bring this thing home and God's killing dudes. That, uh, you can read about it and, and David stops right there and he says, I don't know what to do. All the worship, all the singing, all the dancing stopped at that moment. And he says, I don't, I don't know what to do. So as God begins to tell him what he needs to do to get the ark back there, he builds a tent, a, uh, see the, the tabernacle of God during that time, 20 years without any purpose because the ark is gone. God's presence is not in there. The, the tabernacle of Moses that the ark belonged in fell into shambles. Uh, they, they just didn't know what to do with it. So God tells David to build a tent for his presence. So David builds this tent called the tabernacle of David. And as he does, it's only one big room. And when the ark finally makes it back there, it, it comes in with a lot of, I mean, it was, it was a lot of pomp and praise. As the ark comes in and they set it inside that tent and before only one man could go in and, and be in the presence of God one time a year. The high priest was the only one allowed to be in there one time a year. But when David brings it back, God makes a shift for David. He makes a change for David and he says, my presence, anyone who can enter into my presence with a heart of praise, they can stay. They can see. They can be near my ark. They can be near my presence. Amen. That's why it's so important for us to remain in a constant, the best we can in a constant state of worshiping God. Amen. Thankfulness. The only way you can worship God and praise him is if you have the heart of thankfulness on the inside of you. And sometimes life happens and that heart of thankfulness becomes a disqualification for me to, to praise and worship. Are you with me? So. That was my challenge last week is to set up a place in your house where you can keep worship on 24 hours a day and let God begin to put his presence in your, in your homes again. There is a major restoration when we do that. And you know what? I, I know that some of you have and you have brought a shift in the air to this morning because of what you've done at the home by, at home by answering the challenge. Amen. So we're going to do that for 33 days. Okay. That's all I'm going to talk about last week, all right? I'm done talking about last week. Maybe. We'll see. But I love learning about David's heart. David's heart was so into God. It was so into God. Because David's heart was that he wanted to build God a, a forever home. And because God gave him, God told him, he says, because you have spilt blood, because you have a, a warrior, a warrior's attitude and you've spilt blood, I don't want you to build me a permanent home, but I want you to impart to your son Solomon to, to build me a home. 
So he did. I mean, how would you like to be Solomon? I was thinking about it. How would I like to be Solomon? David's my dad. I mean, you could hear some of the best war stories. You know, you could hear how David was in the battle and, and, and while he was in battle, I mean, he's cutting guys up and, you know what I mean? I mean, this is, this is better, this is better than Braveheart, you know? He, he's tasting the blood of other people. Ugh. That just, uh, I mean, as Solomon, he's hearing these war stories and he's hearing these things and he's being imparted to while he's growing up. But the one thing that David imparted into Solomon was his, uh, his, David's want to build a permanent home for, for, for God's presence. So he says, Solomon, you're going to be in charge of this. I need you to do that. So for 33 years, he imparted into his son what it was going to be like to, to bring God's presence into the place that, that God resides permanently. So Solomon does that. Solomon, when he becomes king, when David dies and becomes king, uh, Solomon becomes king, he built the temple. Now, what you got to understand is the temple of God in those days was a was considered to be a wonder of the world. You've heard about the seven wonders of the world? The temple was a wonder of the world because people, it was so elaborate and so beautiful that people would come from from everywhere. People would come from all over the known world at the time. People, dignitaries and leaders would come. The the Bible talks about the queen of Sheba, the queen of Sheba coming to she just heard about the the temple of God that Solomon built and she wanted to see it. And when she saw it, she was floored at how beautiful it was breathtaking of how beautiful God's house was that Solomon built. But Solomon had a problem. Solomon loved God, loved God because David loved God. He had that impartation. But as David, as a king, began to reign, he did some, he, he, uh, he allowed his fame to begin to taint what God had given him to do. Begin to, to mess up the purpose that God had for Solomon. Solomon was great. Solomon followed after God. He loved God. He worshiped God. But Solomon in his older, <clears throat> in his older age began to mix his worship with God with the worship of pagan idols. It said that he would worship God in the temple, but then he would go to the high places and, and sacrifice to other gods. Why did he do that? Well, I believe it was the power of a woman. No, let me change that. I believe it was the power of women. Because the Bible says that he had 700 wives. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine having seven wives, much less 700 wives. So, I mean, that's a lot of credit cards right there. That's, uh, I mean, when, when a woman gets her mind on shoes, you know, it, it's, it gets expensive. And, and that's... That Solomon is dealing with not only 700 wives, but 300 concubines. A thousand women in his life that he's got to give himself to. That'll make you praise, want to worship pagan gods right there. No. The, 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 the thing about it is he had, he had those women in his life that were not from God. 
And, and the power of that, he began to mix his worship with God and, and women. Even though Solomon died in a, in a spot where he was considered a, um, a worshiper of God, he was considered to be what we would call a Christian today. He, he, he died in that. You know, I, I believe with all my heart that we're going to see Solomon in heaven. I don't know at what stage he's going to be in. Probably the same stage that we're in. Still learning, right? Amen? But but Solomon died and uh, after that after his reign for forty years and in I found this pretty interesting that David's tabernacle lasted for thirty three years and that when Solomon Solomon reigned for forty years and he it took him seven years to build the temple. Do the math. James, do we need to do the math on that? That's thirty three years. 33 years that Solomon had the temple of God in front of him. And he put the ark from David's tabernacle back into the temple, uh, back into the Holy of Holies. God was no longer on display for anybody with a heart of worship. It went back to what Moses had commanded. It went back behind the curtain. It went back into a room where only one man one time a year could come in there. So in that, <clears throat> Israel was divided and 130 years plus, here's, here's what happened. When Solomon died, he passed it on to his kid. His kid, I think his name was Jeroboam or Rehoboam, one of the two. Anyways, his kid was not a God worshiper. He was a pagan idol worshiper. And so the kings during that 130 years after Solomon died the kings begin to get worse and worse. When you read about this in Kings and Chronicles, you'll see that one king followed the next king in, in Israel or in Zion. And as that king would come up, it says that he did worse than the king before him. He was more evil than the king before him. And so it just began to multiply. The, 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 the disobedience began to multiply for 130 years after Solomon. In a matter of uh, probably three generations, in a matter of three generations, 130 years, in a matter of that time, the temple fell into ruin. It went from being a wonder to a waste. It began. It, it came from uh, elaborate to ruins in 130 years, because there were eight kings in Judah and eight king or ten kings. In 130 years, there was eight kings in Judah, ten kings in Israel. That's a lot of kings. But if one was worse than the other, that's a lot of disobedience. Because none of those kings had a desire to even worship God. Now in Deuteronomy, keep that in mind, in Deuteronomy 28, when God gave the the law to Moses, in Deuteronomy 28, speaks of, the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 speaks of the blessings. It's, it's the inheritance of the blessing. When you're obedient, you will be blessed. You'll be, the, you'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above only and not beneath. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. Ladies, you'll be blessed when you go in the mall and blessed when you come out of the mall. Amen? And so I expected a whole lot of amens on that from you ladies. But it was during that time in, in uh, Deuteronomy 28 
the obedience brought the blessing. There's 14 verses of obedience. Now from verse 15 to verse 62, I think, 62 or 63, that is, if we're disobedient, then the curse will come. So disobedience brings a curse. Disobedience to the Word of God brings a curse. Got me? You follow? But obedience brings what? Blessing. So it's better to be obedient than disobedient because when we're disobedient, it releases curse, a curse into our lives. And so that's what Deuteronomy 28 spoke of. The, the obedience bringing the blessing, the disobedience bringing the curse. And one of those curses when they were disobedient was the curse of locusts being released into your camp. Locusts. You all know what locusts are? I, when I was a kid growing up, I always thought the cicada was a, was a locust. We always called those locusts. But a locust, in all reality, is a grasshopper. It's a grasshopper. And he said, when you're disobedient, there is going to be a release of locusts into your life. And those locusts are going to be what? What chews and gnaws away at the fruit, at the good stuff in our life, at the blessing in our life. The locust, when it's released, it'll start eating what fruit God has purposed in your life. And when it starts to eat that fruit and starts to eat, eat up what, what God has given you, then you become fruitless. And that's where the curse is. You don't have plenty of bread in your, in your house. You don't have plenty of wine in your house. And, and what I mean by that is that we don't have an abundance. We're, we're struggling to find that abundance to, to live in. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I've been blessed and I, and I've not been blessed. I've, I've, I've been in lack. Being blessed is better. You know, I've had money and I've not had money. I like having money. So I'm gonna, I, I wanna do what God's called. I wanna be obedient. Amen. So. With that, so for, for 130 years, worship basically had stopped in, in Zion, in Israel, in Judah. It had stopped. It, it wasn't what David had originally released. It just wasn't there. Because the, the, uh, the kings, the leaders of the nations had now begun to worship upon the high places. They begin to worship pagan gods and live in the pagan ways and mix their Christianity or their faith with their faith in God with the faith in pagan idols and pagan worship. Amen. And in that, because of the disobedient kings, the locusts in that 130 years, the locusts begin to be released on the land and it brought famine. And Amos, <coughs> Amos, another minor prophet, and I kind of mentioned him a little bit last week. But Amos had prophesied in his book that there would be a famine coming of the word. Famine of the word. That means that we, he said in the last days there will be a famine of the word. I want you all to understand that we are in the last days. And, and I believe that in the last days, the famine of the word is going to begin to happen. And the, and we're gonna we're gonna start seeing Christianity step away from the Word and begin to step into their own thing. I'm not saying you're gonna do it. I'm not saying the church is gonna do it. I'm gonna. I'm just saying some of the 
the strongest Christians we know or that we see that are public are going to be taking a lean into things that are not of God. And, and there's going to be people starving to find the unadulterated Word of God again, the uncompromised Word of God again. We're going to begin to see those things again. So in this 130 years between Solomon and, and where we're going with this today, Joel lived in that. Joel, the, the writer of the prophet, the prophet Joel, he lived during that time. And as he began to prophesy in that time, he said there in verse 25, he said that the, that I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Joel begins to prophesy. He says, I'm going to, I'm, I, God, he was prophesying. He was inspired by God to, to say these things. He said, I, God, am going to restore the years that the locust has eaten. And he said, he calls it the chewing locust, the, 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 I must have said something because Siri's asking me what I'm saying. Um, you see all these locusts and you see four types or, or four different characteristics of this locust. And a lot of times I've read this and thought these are four different kinds of locusts. These are not four different kinds of locusts. This is one kind of locust at four different maturity or three different maturity levels of the locust. Because in these maturity levels of the locust, when the locust is born and are hatched or whatever, whatever they are, when they're reproduced, they start off in a maturity level that begins to first off eat the fruit. It starts to eat the fruit, the, the grain, the, 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 the grape, the, the fruit of the, of the tree. It begins to eat that first. And as it matures, it begins to eat the leaves, that, that thing that, that captures the sunlight to bring life into that fruit. So once it runs out of fruit, it moves on to the leaves. And then when it runs out of leaves, it begins to eat the stalk or the bark off the tree. And there was one account of locusts in the Bible where where the locusts were eating bark off of the tree. Can you imagine that? The very protection of what that plant was, the locusts would eat and expose the inner part of that to kill it. And so all these these locusts, were, it was one type of locust, but three different types of maturity because at each maturity level was a deeper wound to the tree or to the to the plant. And Joel lived in that time. He's he's seeing this thing, and he says, you know. Um, when, when the locusts do this, it brings, there, there is no hope of recovery from that. I, I was a forestry major in college, and I never saw that when you pull the bark off of a tree, you can, you can wound a tree by pulling bark, uh, a section of bark off, and the tree will heal itself. But when the, the bark is totally gone, it won't heal itself. It becomes exposed and it'll eventually die because it's exposed and there's nothing there to protect it. So when, when the locusts would do this, it would bring, there was no hope for recovery once the locusts got into that, that part of the, the tree or the plant. There's no recovery. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt your life? Man, there's just, I, I've gone through some things and there's just no hope for recovery. There's no hope. That's where we become disqualified. 
that's where we can become become uh, consider ourselves disqualified to do what God's called us to do. Because we think, well, you know, I, 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 there is nothing on the inside of me that is going to be able to recover to enough to walk out God's purpose in my life. There's, there's no recovery enough to get through this divorce. There's no recovery enough to get through this diagnosis. There's no recovery enough to get through this addiction. There's just no, there's no hope. And we become disqualified. And when we feel disqualified, we don't put a lot of faith in God. We want to. I can tell you for sure in my life, after I was diagnosed in 2016, I thought, will I ever be the same? Is this how I'm going to die? The, one of my, one of my good friends who's a minister, when I, you know, when he found out that I had been diagnosed, he contacted me and he says, brother, I'm praying for you, but that's how my dad died. My dad died of Parkinson's disease. I'm like, thank you for telling me that. That gives me a lot of hope. I appreciate that very much. You know, thank God in that moment I was a little bit more, um, the word was a little bit more strong than what he had to say. Amen. But the, but the fact of the matter is, we all get that way. We all get into a place where we feel um, not qualified, unqualified, disqualified. And it all comes through life. And that's why it's so important to stay before God, stay in His presence, to get in His presence anytime you can. That's why it's so important to be a worshiper of God. Amen? That's why it's so important. Because... Because I, I feel like here in this in this moment, in the 130 years, when David was king and Solomon was king, nations around Israel feared Israel because they had seen David walk in in his uh, uh, his warring power. They were scared of King David. People were scared. Nations were scared of Israel. I think they still should be today. I mean, what, what is Israel's, uh, what is their landscape? They're, they're like the same size as New Jersey or Rhode Island or something like that. They're tiny, but they're a nation to be feared. They're a nation to be feared. And that's why I support them. Because I've read in my Bible that if you don't bless, if, if you'll bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. I've been blessed and I've not been blessed. Blessing is a lot better, so I'm going to bless Israel. By the way, we got to, not only did we get to support Israel once the war broke out, we gave them over, what was it? We gave them over 20000 Over $20,000 when the war broke out. Yeah. At the end of the year, when we do our year-end tithe, there is already another $10,000 in the account to go to Israel. So that... I believe we're blessed as a church because we bless Israel. Amen. But Joel here in verse 25, he, he speaks for God and he says, I will restore the years. The years. I will restore the years. How does that sit on your heart? If God, if God's going to restore the years of disobedience to, to, of the kings of Israel, how much more does that mean to us that when we feel disqualified that He's going to restore the years of our life? He's going to restore the years. The years. 
And when he said that, he was saying everything that has disqualified Israel or the people of the nation of Israel, everything that has disqualified them, he's going to restore. He's going to restore. Amen. Amen. I believe this year we are, we are in a place of restoration. That is, that is where things, that's where all my ministry, that's where all my study is going right now, is just seeing what God will restore in our lives. A friend of mine, a minister friend, he's got a, a church down in Harper, Texas, and, uh, he, he put out a, a, a group text, which I hate group text. Don't you hate being in the group text? But when he put this out, I, I was very, uh, quick to respond because he put it out Sunday afternoon. I was sitting in my chair at home and, and he put this text out and he says, the word that God gave me for this year is restore in 24. I was like, brother, amen. I'm with you. That's good. So I, I didn't even, I didn't even know that it rhymed until he said it. So that's what I'm going to say right now. It rhymes restore in 24. When you think about 24, you think about restore. Amen. So for 130 years, I'm going to get back to my message. For 130 years, Israel had been, um, had been feeling separated from God because they deserved it at that point because the disobedience was running so rampant. But when Joel began to speak of rest, restoring the years, something happened. There was a shift that happened, happened in Israel. One of the worst people during that time was a lady named Athaliah. Athaliah was a bad woman. She just, she just, she hated the priests of God. She hated the prophets of God. She was like Jezebel. When you read about Jezebel, Jezebel lived during that time as well. But Athaliah was a nasty woman. She was just mad and angry all the time. And, and she did not like anyone. And she wanted to kill, she killed her kids and her grandkids because she wanted the throne in Israel or in Judah and not any of the, the, the deserved people. And one of the kids that, that she killed had a baby that she didn't know about. And a man, a high, the high priest at the time named Jehoiada, Jehoiada comes in and takes that baby and hides this baby away for six years. And, and Athaliah don't know that. At seven years old, this baby named Joash, or you'll, you'll see its name in other books called Jehoash, but Joash, Jehoash, the same kid, the same person, became king of Judah during that time. They, they put the crown on him. But you know, he was only seven years old when he stepped into that position. Seven, can you imagine a seven year old leading the nation? It's got to be better than what we got now. I mean, I mean, I, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't, I'm not trying to make anything up. It's, it just happens. Um, but anyways, he, he's a seven year old, you know, I don't know how he even understood what the nation was at that point. But the first gift, the Bible says the first gift that he received as the king was the Word of God. He had a copy of all the Word of God. That's what they would do. That's what David had uh, said. When when the king comes to the throne, he gets his own personal Word of God. And so that was the first gift that he was given. If you if you would, go over to Second Chronicles. 
That's another one of those books your pages still might be stuck together. It's back towards the front of your Bible. Second Chronicles. It follows First Chronicles, just so you know. Um, some of you all get that on the way home. <laughs> Jehoiada was the high priest, and he felt a calling. He felt his purpose was to be a personal instructor to this new king, Joash. He's the one that hit him away. He already had a <clears throat> he already had a relationship with Joash. So he had a lot of influence and a lot of inspiration into his life. Go down the wrong pipe. <clears throat> Anyways, um, Jehoiada is the instructor to Joash and teaching him how to be a godly king. And so here in 2 Chronicles verse uh, chapter 23, I don't think I told you that, did I? 2 Chronicles chapter 23 <clears throat> says this. It says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the people and the king, Joash, that they should be the Lord's people. You see that? Joash's heart was that, that he, that they all come to a place of making a covenant together that <clears throat> between the king and the nation that they would be the Lord's people. Verse 17 it says, and all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down and broke into pieces its altars and its images and killed Matin, the, the priest of Baal before the altars. I mean, they were serious about this, right? They're serious about this covenant. Verse 18, it says, Then Jehoiada appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests, of the, uh, priests, the Levites, whom David had assigned in the house of the Lord. Did you see that? He's doing things based on what David had done 170 years before. The tabernacle of David. Think about that. They became the ones that led the worship of, in the tabernacle of David. It says, <clears throat> the, the, the priests, the Levites, whom David had assigned in the house of the Lord to offer burnt offerings to the Lord as it is written in the law of Moses with, listen to this, with rejoicing and singing as it was established by David. Here's a place that recovering, restoring the disqualification, God says, I still have hope for Israel. I still have hope for Judah. I still have hope for Zion. That Zion would raise up and rise up and be restored like it, like the tabernacle of David was restored. We're restoring the tabernacle of David in this time. 170 years later, we are, just, we are, we are restoring the disqualification that Israel thought they were dead. They thought they were past being a, a nation feared, now we're going to step back in and restore the nation with praise and worship Amen. again. I don't know if it broke out into 24-7 worship, but I assume it did because he said this, is gonna, this time is going to be like the time of David. And when they begin to do that, all of a sudden God begins to pour out His restoration. Listen to this, down in, verse, down in chapter 24 verse 1 and 2, it says, Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. Seven, year, seven years old, 
And he reigned for 43. What's the difference? 33 years. In Jerusalem, his mother's name was Ziba of Beersheba. Verse 2 says, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. He did what was right. I believe it comes from what Jehoiada had given him as a gift when he became a king. Let me tell you what. When you begin to bless your children with the Word of God, you know, some people will say, well, you're brainwashing the kids. You're, you're indoctrinating children. Let me tell you something. Our kids don't know nothing, so they're being indoctrinated somewhere, whether we do it or whether we let somebody else do it. We need to get the Word of God into our kids. Because that's where it starts. That's where they won't have to down the road. Hopefully they won't have to have a restoration of their, of their disqualification. Because they're going to know exactly what Joash did. Joash lived all his days for the Lord. Because he was indoctrinated with the Word of God from a very small age. And he led a nation because he was indoctrinated with the Word of God. Amen. We need to, we need to have that hope in our children. Amen. And this was all done because, all because Jehoiada wanted to make a covenant. A covenant. Anytime that a covenant is made in the, in the Bible, anytime a covenant was given, there was a point in that covenant where they would sit down and they would say, we're going to share this and what, what ratifies or what completes this covenant between us is sitting down with the bread and the wine. What we today call communion. Restoration started with communion. Because it was a covenant. It was the finish to a covenant. It was the covenant that God had for them. It was the covenant that God has for us. It's the covenant that makes us His people. It's the covenant that brings restoration to our lives. And where we've been disqualified, or where we felt disqualified, where we felt sick, where we felt alone, where we felt petty... God wants to restore us. And He's going to do it not just through some religious thing that we do. He's going to do it through the heartfelt worship of bringing bringing a covenant, the heartfelt worship of communion. Amen? Man. The nation of Israel became strong again through the covenant. The nation of Israel became courageous again through the covenant. The nation of Israel became feared again because of the covenant. So in that, it is the first of the year. And I felt like as a church, we need to, we need to just stop in what we're doing before we move any further into this year. We need to stop and we need to make a covenant together. Not a covenant between me and you but a covenant between us and God that we will be His people. We will be obedient to do what He's called us to do. We will be, we will set aside all of our disqualifications. You know, my, my father in the ministry said years ago, he said, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Every one of us have been called. And even though we felt disqualified, God wants to qualify us. And He can only do that through the blood of His Son, Jesus. Jesus said uh, in the during the Last Supper, right before, just hours before He's going to go to the cross, He took communion with His 
disciples. And he says, this is my body, the bread, and this is my blood. And this is our covenant. Because he wanted to see a nation of people, not just Israel. He wanted to see those who were Gentiles to come into the faith as well. And the way that they did that was they laid down their disqualifications as pagan idol worshipers and said, I choose Jesus and therefore I'm going to, I'm going to receive his body, the bread and the blood of Jesus. So I want to, I want to do that this morning with you. Would you mind us doing that? So at the door, you were handed a little, a little ready-made, a little ready-made uh, communion cup. If you did not get one and you would like to, to participate with this, uh, we've got our ushers around. If you need one, raise your hand and we'll serve you uh, uh, really quick. I think that uh, I believe with all my heart that communion, what Jesus established as communion, what the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 established as communion, um, for God's people, I believe that it was never meant to be a religious, uh, mechanical thing. I, you know, there's some churches, and I'm not bagging on those churches, that today, every service that they do, they serve communion. But the one thing that I see that Jesus said, He said, do this every time you do this, whenever you do this. He didn't say, do this every week. He didn't say, do this every month. He says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So we don't do it to just do it. We don't do it because that's what our church doctrine is. We do it because we remember who he is. And he gave his ultimate, ultimately gave his life to restore us, to, to take away our sin, to take away our sickness, to take away our disease. So if you're dealing with some of those disqualifications today, you're dealing with addiction, you're dealing with divorce, you're dealing with with a diagnosis, you're dealing with uh, a, a bank account that's in the red, uh, you're dealing with things that you just feel like there's not enough. There's not enough in your life. It's the day that we come together and say, we are a group of people that are people of God. And the people of God should not live this way. The people of God should live in a place of restoration. The people of God should live in a place of qualification. Amen? Amen. I believe that with all my heart. And, you know, I heard one minister say that, that communion is the meal that heals. Wherever you need healing in your life, and I'm not talking about just physical healing. I'm talking about healing in your finances, healing in your relationships, healing wherever. This is the meal that heals. Jesus said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. That's our hope. That's our hope. Uh, The Apostle Paul said, if we do this unworthily, we'll be guilty. That word unworthily means to do it as common. If we just make this this grape juice and and a tasteless wafer (laughs) something that we just do because that's what everybody else is doing, he says, you're taking it as common, and we cannot take it as common. This is not common. Amen. This is Jesus. Amen. This is what Jesus represents. So as you have your little cup there, pull back the cellophane package, packaging there, and uh, there's that little piece of styrofoam there. <laughs> it seems like it. It seems like it. But there's, there's no leaven in this, so there's no, any, there's no mixture. 
There's no mixture of sin. Leaven in the Bible was representative or symbolized as sin. There's no leaven in this. So we're, we're sin free. Amen. If you, if, if you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you are not a sinner anymore. You were a sinner, but you're not anymore. Unless you put yourself in that position. You, that's not, that's not our desire. That's not what we want. We are the Lord's people. And God wants to restore the years. So here with this little wafer, this is the, this represents the body of Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples, he says, take and eat this because this, this is my body, which was broken for you. So before we consume it, I just I like to break it because it symbolized his broken body that he's hung on the cross with. So with that, I just want to pray this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your body. I thank you for your son Jesus and his body that was that was broken for us. That God, that in those places where we need healing in our lives, in those places where we need um, restoration in our health, in our finances, in our relationships, whatever that case may be, you your body, Jesus, was broken for us. So we thank you that you live for us. That as we take this bread as a symbol of of, of your life into ours, we receive you and who you are in the salvation and the restoration that you bring us. God, I pray that our threshing floors will be full of new grain because we take your body in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and eat. As you're doing that, you can peel back that foil part of of your cup. I'm going to try this. All right, got it. Jesus, as the Bible says on that same night, he took the, took the cup of wine. And as he took that cup of wine, he says, this is my covenant ratified. This is my blood ratifying the covenant that I've made with you. That word ratify means to complete. He says it's the blood that completes everything. So as we've taken his body, which brings the restoration, now we complete it by sealing it with the, with the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And in that, my prayer for, for us as we, as we do this, my prayer is that the restoration that God is giving us will be solidified as we consume this together. So let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for the fruit of the vine which represents his blood. And God, as we take this together, we are one as, as your people making a covenant with you. And we say that God, from this time forward, because we are believers, that we are ingesting in the symbol that represents Jesus' blood, that it means that our vats, our winemaking process, that we will forever be full of new wine and new oil in Jesus' name. Our vats will not be empty ever in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and drink. Amen. Father, I thank you and praise you for this day. And I thank you for this time together. God, as we come together as one people, as, as people restored, Father, I pray that if there's anybody sitting here with feelings of disqualification, that they don't deserve being in your house, they don't deserve uh, being a part of Christianity, God, they, don't, they feel that they don't deserve any thing that they've been given. God, I pray that through the 
through the covenant that we just made with you through the communion, uh, through the communion cup. God, I pray that there would be a restoration, a restoration that takes place in their life. God, I pray that all the disqualifications would be moved out of the way and that we would step into that place that you've called us to be. God, we love you. We praise you. Father, I thank you that you restore the years, the years, the years that the locust has come in and, and eaten and tried to disqualify us. But God, we, we are here today to say that from this time forward, as we move into restore in 24, God, I thank you that as we move in that direction, that we walk in your supernatural restoration in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all receive that today?